okay, so hey guys, welcome again to Word of Yahweh. I'm so happy to have you here. Um, so as you guys already know, uh, I said that I was gonna, <laughs> I'm sorry guys, I'm really, really sorry. I said that I was gonna upload a new episode every third Saturday. However, this is actually Monday, two days later. Uh, actually, it's already late, so maybe it's Tuesday. <laughs> so three days later, but I'm sorry, guys. I was kind of busy, and I didn't. I think I didn't let you guys know in any social media. Um, I apologize for that. But anyway, that's not the point. The point is that uh, um, I'm busy. I, I was kind of busy. I'm sorry, but you won't regret it because the today's topic is something very, very interesting that I'm sure most Christians don't know about, or at least some Christians don't know about, that could be very useful. This, this type of information can actually be handy at times. So, uh, as you guys already saw this at the on the title of the episode, this episode is going to be about the evil God challenge, or in other words, can God be evil? And let me explain myself by just to clarify what I mean by this. So essentially, uh, what I'm trying to talk about in this episode if, is if there is a God, uh, like the atheist or the agnostic skeptic position would say, if there is a God, how do we know that he is good and not evil? Well, yeah, how do we know? I mean, we cannot say because the Bible says so, because that's just circular reasoning. And it doesn't make sense. It's just like asking, how do you know the Bible is true? Because the Bible says so. It's just circular reasoning has makes no sense. Because if we trusted every book that claims to be the truth without any outside or external evidence, then we would have to accept the Quran as or the Book of Mormon, or any other religious book as inspired and true, which should not be the case. We should always look for external sources to back up our uh, our beliefs. And this is what we're going to be doing today, in a very philosophical way. So, and now that I've explained what this is all about, that's just... Uh, get right into it. So, what is the evil God challenge, which is the challenge that I'm going to talk to you guys about today? What is it exactly? Well, what it is, it's that it is an argument that was proposed by this uh, philosopher, I think he is, I would say that he is a philosopher, Stephen Law, uh, to, uh, it was made to practically like attack and question the rationality of believing that God is eternally, I mean, um, absolutely good. Well, I mean, yeah, eternally and absolutely good. Um, so this is an argument that seeks to question classical or traditional theism, you know, like Christianity. Christianity can be, can be understood as a classic traditional theistic system of beliefs because we believe in a good god and an all-powerful god and all-knowing god and etc etc so uh, this argument seeks to question those those beliefs 
So Stephen Law says that there are says that the theists' arguments do not give any or sufficient information uh, about the character of God, especially like specifically speaking about his moral character. Uh, we cannot arrive to the conclusion that he's absolutely good from the theist arguments that we have for his existence. You know, um, those theist arguments that have been provided by various mostly medieval um, philosophers like Thomas Aquinas, St. Augustine, um, Anselm of Canterbury, uh, all these guys, right? All these guys who dedicated their lives to... to, to Sir, to, to, to do philosophy in service of God. So this guy says, well, you know, uh, with these arguments, we can only have some evidence that he exists, but we cannot know for certain that even if he does exist, that he is good. Essentially, that's what he's trying to say. Um, so law also says that God uh, being absolutely good is simply a, a, a hypothesis. Like I said, it's just a hypothesis. You can know you cannot know for sure that God is good. Maybe God is evil and you just don't know it. It's just a hypothesis. There's no way to actually prove that God is actually good. That's what he says, but we don't know if that's the case. It's not. <laughs> uh, okay. So uh, he talks also about the already well-known problem of evil, which is, in essence... Um, just something uh, uh, typically a atheistic argument that um, that seeks to question why there is evil in the world if God is absolutely good and all powerful. I mean, you should already know this. It's a very common argument. Uh, but in case you don't know, uh, the problem with evil essentially goes like this. Uh, if God is absolutely good and he's all-powerful, why is there evil in the world? This must mean one of two things, say the atheists. Either he is not all-powerful, which means that he is good and he wants to do good, but he can't. Or he is not good, meaning that he has the ability to stop evil and yet he doesn't because he's evil. So just one of two things. It's a very popular argument, really. But uh, the fact of the matter is, it's just not not those two, th only those two things that we can choose from. There are many different answers for this. Again, uh, Thomas Aquinas already talked about this. Uh, what was it like, eight hundred years ago? So I'm not. <laughs> so if you want to uh, know more about the problem of evil as formulated by even Thomas Aquinas and how he uh, responds to his own formulation of the problem of evil. Um, you can go look that up. Uh, it's very interesting. I might do an episode about the problem of evil later. Right now, I don't plan on making one. So if you really want to know, you can go look that up. Uh, but for this episode, I just want to focus on the issue at hand, you know, which is can God be evil? Which is, but um, uh, this is the but anyway, that was the argument that he used the problem of evil, and and he and he says that 
that yeah so because there is evil in the world god can't be uh all powerful or he can't be absolutely good but but uh but by saying this uh there uh, we can have we can formulate as theists the same argument against uh law and his formulation of this problem i would say because we can say that if we have an evil god then we have a problem of good actually so if we have a good god then we have a problem of evil but we have an evil god we have a problem of good because good is a thing in the world not just evil good is also a thing that's in the world so we we have the same problem either way <laughs> either either it is even if it is uh an evil god we still have the same problem even though stephen law probably didn't realize that and that is because the world is not uh just black and white you know it, it it moves in a in a in a scale of grays between good and evil so there's always good and there's always evil so whatever god it is a a, a good god or a bad god an evil god we are gonna face the same problem so him mentioning the problem of evil doesn't really do any good for his argument really so Moving on, Law also uh, claims that God, the evil God, is just as reasonable as the good God. Because every justification that we can find for the good God, you can give the same justification, just like a same inverse justification, and that is equally valid for the evil god but is this is this really the case like the like like the thing that we just did where he points out the problem of evil any justification that we can give for the problem of evil is 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 the same justification that he can give for the problem of good in this case supposedly but um he doesn't just say that he also says that the argument for free will uh, can also give uh, can also be used in favor of the evil god like i said any justification that we can give for the problem of evil is a justification that he can give for the problem of good if he points out the problem of evil and we say okay there is evil because we have free will um if 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 he were to face the problem of good with his evil god, he can do the same thing. He can say, "Well, there is good because there is free will too, and 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 people can do good things even though God is evil." So it's kind of like this this dynamic in which every argument that we can give for any problem or any justification that we can give for any problem with the good god, he can give with the evil god. But, like I said, let's see if this is really, really the case. So, uh, at the end, Law just concludes uh, that both hypotheses, you know, the evil god and the good god, are equally reasonable. There are no better reasons to think that God is good than there are to think that God is evil. They're equally valid. That's, that's just what he concludes out of 
of everything that he says in his um, Evil God Challenge. Um, so he also uh, says in the end that if the majority of people think that God, uh, an evil God, is irrational, I mean, if you were to ask anyone in the world if they think that God is evil, they would say they would they would probably say that that's irrational. But since he claims that the hypothesis of the good God is symmetric to the evil one, uh, and by this I mean that they're both equally reasonable. That means that if the good that evil God is not reasonable, it's irrational, then the good God must also be irrational. Either way, he says that believing in God is irrational, <laughs> essentially. So, okay. So we've now seen we, we have now seen what uh what the argument for the evil God is the the evil God challenge actually is we've covered pretty much all of it. So now that we've done that, I would like to do a logical analysis of the argument that he is presenting, starting with the first premise, which is that if the belief in a in an evil God is rational, then the um, the belief in a good God is also irrational. That's the first premise. Second premise, the belief in an evil god is irrational. Therefore, the conclusion, the belief in a good god is irrational. That's his argument. So there are a lot of mo uh, there are a lot more things to support uh, premise one. Most of what we uh, most of what we saw uh led to the premise to the first premise but the second premise is where my problem is because he doesn't really support the idea that an evil god is irrational he just kind of claims that an evil god is irrational he just says because people think that an evil god is irrational then it must be irrational he doesn't go any further than that but anyway that was the logical analysis of the argument so now that we've seen what his argument actually is from a logical standpoint, I would like to address many arguments that I have found and that I have come up with myself. Well, not myself, I'm sure many, many, many people before me, uh, centuries before I was born, came up with it. But it's just something that I didn't really look up. It's something that just came to my mind. But I'm sure somebody else already said that. I think I actually actually think that the moment I thought about it, I said, oh, this guy already said it. <laughs> Not going to say which one, but uh, yeah. So um, practically at this point in, t in history, there are very, 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 very few things that might be considered original because uh, almost everything has already been done or thought of. But anyway, that's that's completely off the point. So uh, I'm going to talk about the impossibility of an evil god. So, so there's this philosopher called uh, Charles Daniels, which uh, denies the thesis of symmetry. Uh, and what the thesis of symmetry here is is basically what I just. Uh, but what I just explained to you in a, in a more, like in a fancier way, it's just saying that both can be equally logical. 
therefore equally impossible from a logical stand standpoint. Like both an evil god and a good god are symmetrical ideas that uh, that that means that be either both of them are true or none of them are true. In this case, law said none of them are true. None of them are rational. That's what he says. But this philosopher, Charles Daniels, he denies that there is any type of symmetry between both of these ideas. And what he says is that, uh, uh, that an omniscient being that is evil is, an, is, is, is a contradiction. Being all-knowing and at the same time being evil, of course, all-knowing, omniscient, being uh, uh, a quality of God, and being evil is a contradiction. That's what he says. Because, he says, that we all act in a way that we judge as right or righteous. But God, being omniscient, that means knowing everything, he cannot choose evil, given that he judges good as an absolute good. What, what I'm saying, what Charles Daniels is saying here is that God cannot make mistakes. God cannot, cannot mistake something good as evil. He cannot, he cannot make the mistake that we as humans make, that we sometimes think something evil is good because it seems evil. But that's because we don't know everything. We're not omniscient. But according to Daniels, if you're omniscient, you cannot be deceived in that way in which even, even something evil that seems to be good can fool God because he judges with an absolutely good standard and he cannot be tricked into choosing anything that's outside of that. So, anyway, so, it, in other words, it's impossible for him to be wrong. Uh, choosing when it comes to choosing uh, good and, and, and like what would seem like something good like an apparent good you know what I'm saying so I don't know if you understood this I, I'm, I'm trying to be as clear as possible trying to uh, give you guys the ideas that I have in my head, like trying to express the ideas that are in my head the best way I can. But essentially what I'm saying is, or what Charles Daniels is saying here, is that evil things can seem good. And we as human beings, fallible human beings, we act in a way that we judge as righteous. We're, not, we're never going to act in a way that we don't see as good for ourselves or for others, all right? We're never going to act in, in, in ways that we consider to be wrong. We're always going to act in a way that we judge righteous. But even though we act in a way that we're always going to judge righteous, that doesn't mean that we're always going to do the right thing because our judgment can be wrong. We cannot dis Sometimes we cannot distinguish between good things that... Uh, I mean, bad things that seem to be good from actual good things. But God, since he is omniscient, he does know and can distinguish every difference, even when we can't. 
and he too acts in a way that he judges as righteous. The only way, the only difference is he cannot be fooled into or, or tricked into thinking that something evil is good because he has a higher understanding of things. So the mere fact that he's omniscient makes it impossible for him to be evil, according to Charles Daniels, like I said. So that was the first argument against the impossibility of an evil God. The second argument that I want to point out is evil as an absence of good, of good. And that is because we need to understand good as a necessary, uh, as a necessary source for there to be evil. Because evil is nothing more than the absence of good. In the same way that dark, the, the darkness is, is the absence of light. The light, light is something that exists by itself and that has no necessity of something else to exist. But darkness depends on light for its existence. And because, uh, and, and, and because evil cannot exist by itself, but it is the absence of good, then it is impossible for, for it to be, I mean, evil, for evil to be an attribute of God given that he exists by himself and has, has no necessity of anything else. All right? I don't know if you really understood what I was trying to say here, but <laughs> essentially, darkness is not something that exists inherently, but it is something that depends on something that was previously uh, existent, uh to exist, because it is the absence of it. Without light, there cannot be darkness, but without, but there can be light without darkness. We can only know what is uh, darkness when we've seen light. In the same way, we can only know what's evil if we know what's good. And also, we have to understand evil as a defect. It's 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 something that's not desirable, it's a defect, and God cannot have defects because he's perfect. So a perfect being um, cannot do evil, because doing evil is absence of power, and if God is all-powerful, he's then he has no absence or lack of power to do wrong. Because doing evil, like I said, is lack of power to act perfectly. And God has no lack of power to act perfectly. And also, just, and also, uh, just to clarify a little bit, some people might say that, well, maybe... Maybe uh, maybe good is an absence of evil, right? We can say that. Uh, but how do we know that, how, like, how do we know precisely that evil is an absence of good and not good an absence of evil? How do we know we, which one comes first, right? Well, we can simply know that evil is the absence of good just by thinking that good is the desirable 
characteristics that every entity uh, desires in service of its own virtue. So everything tends to uh, keep and perfect uh, its own being. You know, every 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 everything wants to not only keep its essence, but also uh, make it perfect in a way. Like we, everything wants to improve for the better. And 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 because of this, good is something natural in reality, and it's part of every being. Evil, consequently is the absence of that natural desire of uh, conservation and perfection of oneself. So goodness is a trait that's inherit, uh, inherently in every creature because it's in service of its own virtue, right? So anything that deviates from that natural desire that every creature at some point experiment is going to be considered as evil because it's absence of that natural thing. Just like sickness is bad because it's absence or lack of health. And health is the desirable state, the desirable, you know, condition, the desirable condition of our bodies. We do not say that uh, sickness is good because it's absence of health, you know? Uh, so that's kind of the reasoning that there is behind the idea that evil is in fact the absence of good and not the other way around. So there's really not any reason, like a philosophical reason by which we can say uh, or we can understand evil as a as a lack of, I, I mean, good as a lack of evil. There, there's absolutely no support for that. All right, there's no support for that, because, uh, like I said, good is the natural default. Uh, you know, like the natural default setting <laughs> that is desirable for every being. So it exists before evil itself. That's why e that's why good cannot be lack of evil. All right, and like I said, evil uh, evil not being able to exist by itself, but being an absence of good cannot be an attribute of God because He exists by Himself and has no necessity of anything else. So it's contradictory, the idea that a, that a sufficient, necessary being uh, is, is evil is just a contradictory idea. It's, it, it's essentially just nonsense. So God cannot be evil in this world or in any possible world, according to this other argument that I just gave for uh, against the existence of an evil god. So then we have another argument for the existence of a good god rather than an evil god, an evil god. And this one comes from the ontological argument of Anselm of Canterbury. 
Canterbury. Uh, and this is a very well-known argument. Uh, I mean, nowadays, uh, people mostly, uh, mostly talk about its modal form, like the modal ontological argument. It has become a little bit more popular. The, the first ontological argument as formulated by Anselm of Canterbury is um, not that common anymore. Not that common. But essentially, after he formulates this argument, just, just, I mean, just right after he formulates this argument, he says that God is the greatest being imaginable. In essence, he says that God is the greatest being imaginable, and it's and and he is superior to all things. Therefore, he claims that God is the absolute or greatest good from which every other good comes from. So essentially, by this, he he by the definition that he provides of God, uh, he cannot be anything else that being the greatest being imaginable, like and and he cannot be anything less than the greatest good imaginable. By this definition of God. Which means that he, he is maximally great in every aspect of, I mean, in every aspect really that we can think of. So he says that being just is better than not being just. And being honest is being better, is, is better than being a liar. So if these two things are better than the other ones, then they must be an attribute of God. If God was not just, if God or if God was a liar, he could not possibly be the greatest imaginable being because he would have he wouldn't have some qualities that are better than other qualities. I mean, if he's not just or he's a liar, he wouldn't have the the better quality of being honest or the better quality of being just. So it would be deficient. This would be considered a deficient thing for God, which would stop making him be God. Because, like I said, if God is the greatest possible being imaginable, and he is the greatest uh, good imaginable or maximum great in every aspect, every quality that he has must be the best quality that one can have. And not being just and being a liar are not the best qualities that we can have. So therefore, they cannot be attributes of God. Because if he had those attributes, he would stop being God. He would stop being the maximum the maximally great being, I'm sorry. He would simply just stop being the greatest being imaginable because he does not possess every good quality. Okay? So, according to this, according to Anselm of Canterbury, it's logically inconsistent, the idea of evil with God. It's not even a possibility, like we've seen with other arguments as well. But it does not end here. <laughs> it does not end here. 
we still have another argument for uh, the existence of a good God rather than an evil God. And that is the fourth way of Thomas Aquinas. So the fourth way of Thomas Aquinas, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's something that people are very familiar with. Christians can be very familiar with this. But it's, in essence, uh, the fourth way of Thomas Aquinas says that there, uh, there are different levels of qualities in finite entities. If an individual has a property that is not absolute, then, it, then that entity or that individual does not have that quality or that property by essence, but by participation or, or partially. You know, and that means that he has that quality not by essence, but he has that partially giving from a, a source that does have that property or quality by essence. So everything that does not have a property or quality that's absolute but partial has uh, has that, like I said, has that property or quality as something that's given or caused by, uh, given from or caused by something uh something else, something bigger that does possess that quality by essence. So we can say this thing uh, about goodness. We can say this about goodness. We can say that every, uh, that, that, I mean, that there are uh, different levels of goodness, right? There are different levels of goodness in the world. But there is not an absolute good. There's nothing absolutely good that we can find in, in this world. So therefore, goodness is something that comes, uh, comes from or is given by a superior being that does possess that absolute level of goodness by essence. And this being is God. So let me exemplify here, what I'm let me exemplify here what I'm trying to say with a, an analogy, all right, and with an analogy. So let's say that we have a pot of cold water or just room temperature water. <laughs> all right, so we have a pot of water, and we put it on fire. We 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 turn on on the stove and we want to boil the water, so we put it on fire. All right. So this water that was cold or room temperature slowly becomes uh, hotter and hotter and becomes partially hot, all right? It becomes partially hot because of fire, okay? So in this, in, in this analogy, we're going to take fire as the expression of what is absolutely hot. And this... And fire, this this thing, is hot by essence. What I mean by this is that there cannot be cold fire. That that's that's that goes completely against its nature. Goes completely against its essence. So there cannot exist fire without heat. All right, because it's a quality that the fire absolutely possesses by essence. 
So, therefore, uh, fire being hot by essence has the capacity of transmitting from itself heat to other things in a, par in a partial manner. Like how fire is heating the water for, for it to boil, but it's just partially giving it, giving it heat. Because water does not possess that as an absolute quality. We cannot, we, it's not necessary for the water to be hot as it is necessary for fire to be hot. Water can become hot, but only if that, uh, only if that heat is given by something else that possesses the quality of heat by essence, not by something else. All right. So, if we understand this analogy, we can understand that even though uh, that we as humans on this earth, we can be partially good, all right? We can be partially good, however, not entirely good. We are not absolutely good. So, therefore, there must be something else that is absolutely good by nature and essence that can give us and share with us or transmit us from it from himself goodness but we cannot possess that quality by essence but we possess it like thomas aquinas says it uh by participation or partially okay just like water can be hot but only if the fire gives heat to it by you know, <laughs> that's what I'm trying to say. If fire gives to it heat, because fire possesses heat as an inherent quality of its existence, just like God gives us, uh, shows us what's good and gives us goodness because he possesses goodness as an absolute inherent um necessary quality in his being uh, without which he cannot exist. All right? God cannot be evil in the same way that fire cannot be cold because it's something that goes against his very essence and nature. All right? So, why can't we say the same thing about evil, someone might ask. You know, why can't we say that there are different levels of evil? Um, so there has to be an absolute source of evil that possesses evil as an inherent necessary quality and all of that, right? Everything that we just said, just with evil. Well, uh, this cannot happen. This cannot be simply because of the things that I already mentioned uh, previously about be evil being a uh, a lack of good or absence of good instead of the other way around. So I already, so like I said, I already talked about it. Um, so if you want to go back and listen to it, <laughs> you can do that and try to understand where, where, where I'm coming from when I say that evil is absence of good and not the other way around. That's how everyone has understood it. Many philosophers have defended the idea of, of, evil being an absence of good, you know, you, you can look that up, you can 
do some research and many philosophers that have defended that idea and that are pretty, pretty solid arguments for that. But if you try to find an argument that claims that evil uh, is not the absence of good, but that good is the absence of evil, you're not going to find anything good. You're not going to find anything good. Really. And I tell you this because I researched, <laughs> I researched this and I did my research and I tell you that you're not going to find any sufficient reason for that hypothesis. The hypothesis that evil comes before good and therefore goodness is the absence of evil. There are no philosophers, there are no good prepared and educated philosophers that think this way. So you're not going not you're never going to find any any logical consistent argument for that uh, idea. Not you're not going to find it. I mean, you can try to but you're not. <laughs> All right. So instead I just uh, invite you to actually do some research on why uh uh, of why evil is an absence of good. I mean, I didn't cover it very well or very extensively on this episode because it's really just a lot. It's really just a lot. You'd be amazed at how many arguments and how many different reasons people have given throughout time for this idea, unlike the contrary idea that, you know, evil is the source of good. So, uh, yeah, you can, you can do that or maybe go back a little bit just to uh, hear what I had to say about, about it uh, very, very briefly. And if you're not satisfied with what I had to say, I, I encourage you to do that research on your own. But, like I said, why cannot this be applied with evil as well? Why can't we say that... There are different levels of evil and so on and so on. We just everything that we just said about the fourth way of Thomas Aquinas. Well, because it is logically impossible since evil cannot exist by itself. All right. So and so that was it, guys. I think that was the episode. I I, I think it was a lot shorter than I thought it was going to be. I mean, it's not very short. But it was shorter than I expected. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I hope you guys learned something from this. You know, there are many, many atheists, many skeptics today that are out there trying to ridiculize Christianity, ridiculize the idea of a God. And most of the times, people are in some shape or form going to formulate this idea that how do we know that God cannot be evil? How do we know that God is good? Without the Bible, of course. Because we can we can all go to the Bible and just say, Hey, see here, it says that God is good. But uh, like I said, that's just circular reasoning. Nobody's gonna take you seriously if you use that as an argument. You have to be you have to do more than that to convince people that God cannot be evil. Not only that it's unlikely, but that it's impossible for God to be evil. So I hope that you're that this episode prepared you a little bit more to face this type of people out there. Uh, 
certainly I didn't know about this a few months ago. It's something relatively new to me. And I wanted to talk about this because I feel like it's necessary for Christians to know all of this so they can be prepared to their to defend uh, our faith. Okay, so uh, that's that's all for today. And uh, I hope you like this episode. And as always, you can just find me and on any social media. I am on uh, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and yeah, those are the three. <laughs> that I through platform platforms that I'm in, and um, yeah, so you can find me there, and uh, and that's it for today. Hope you have a uh, hope you guys have a really really great day, and I'll see you guys in the next episode. May God bless you and your families always. Amen.